the sizable number of animals that could be domesticated in the Near East. And thereabouts, notably goats, sheep, and cattle, as well as horses, led to nomadic and semi-nomadic herding or pastoral societies that were probably like many that still roam that region. But as a rule, pastoral peoples generally survive via a symbiotic relationship with sedentary farming groups exchanging grain for animal products as well as for other articles of value. One astounding theory about the domestication of animals belongs to the historian Philip Van Doren Stern, who straight-facedly suggested that men domesticated sheep and goats so they would become more pliable sex partners. It does appear that the domestication of both plants and animals tended to occur about the same time as part of an ongoing process by which people slowly became more and more dependent on producing their own food. Later, what Andrew Sherratt of Oxford University characterized as a secondary products revolution occurred. The use of domesticated animals as beasts of burden capable of carrying a human rider and later of pulling a plow or as sources of milk for making butter and cheese or as producers of wool and a few other useful byproducts. The use of animals to pull plows and chariots seems to have begun about 5,000 years ago, suggesting to the feminist prehistorian Margaret Ehrenberg of the United Kingdom that this may have been the time of the male takeover. Shades of Gimbutas here, yet the use of the plow pulled by prehistoric cattle or oxen was almost surely a male affair, which might well have had some deepening effect on gender roles and social arrangements within and among families. In fact, archaeologists and others have paid much less attention to exactly who domesticated animals in various regions than to who domesticated plants. But one thing is certain, domesticating animals would probably not have occurred if plants were not being domesticated at the same time in the same regions. 
and it appears to have taken a good deal of time for any of this activity to bear fruit. For most people in these regions, the plants that became the basis of agriculture almost surely were a minor part of the diet at first and remained so for various amounts of time. For example, in the eastern woodlands of the United States where sunflowers and a few other plants were domesticated, the natural bounty of the forest was of prime dietary importance for many centuries. Even after a form of maize reached the eastern side of the Mississippi, it received the same slow acceptance as it had received earlier in the American Southwest. Maize arrived in the American Southwest about 3,200 years ago and made a very minor splash. It had, as noted, been grown in Mexico for at least twice that long and was a staple there along with squash and beans. This troika of staples would become the major feature of North American farms in due course, the beans being important because they provided an essential amino acid, lysine, missing in corn, and also resupplied soil with nitrogen. Early signs of maize in the southwest occurred at Bat Cave in central New Mexico. It was a puny strain with ears only a couple of inches long. The women were there already had plenty of seed technology at hand, chiefly equipment for processing wild seeds, but also baskets for storing them. They planted these new seeds near the entrance of the cave and went off with their families to forage and hunt during the summer. Upon their return, they harvested whatever maize had survived along with any other edible opportunistic plants, that is, weeds. Maize was at best a supplement. For another thousand years, people could and did take it or leave it. Some people in the Southwest, however, most likely women, continued its use, probably plucking off those quote-unquote ears that had the larger seed kernels, eating some and saving some to plant the following spring. This artificial selection was likely to have become deliberate and led to a new strain with larger ears and more rows of kernels, better adapted to arid conditions. This formed the basis for several sedentary agricultural societies among whom were the Hohokam people of Arizona, where a phenomenally sophisticated series of canals beginning about 2100 years ago 
or 100 BC, produced one of the largest, longest lasting irrigation cultures ever known. Within a few centuries of the Hoho Kansas fluorescence in Arizona, they began to make pottery, and with great certainty, it was made by women. With pottery, they had a far more effective means of keeping such things as kernels of corn safe from rodents and for hauling water. For many people, now that they were sedentary, pottery, which is relatively heavy, could replace some kinds of baskets, which are light for certain purposes. Like baskets, pottery provided its makers with a means of self-expression, and as its use spread, so did the variety of designs and techniques, providing archaeologists with one of their favorite ways of identifying cultures from one another and watching cultural change and exchange take place. North of the Hohokam, the people known as the Anasazi built monumental pueblos like Mesa Verde and Chaco Canyon, which again rested on the existence of maize, squash, and beans grown near small water sources or dry farmed. From the southwest, new strains of maize spread far and wide. Maize reached much of the eastern woodlands by 400 AD, again spending centuries as a supplemental foodstuff. By 900 AD, it had come into its own as a major part of the diet in the east, making possible the great mound-building era called the Mississippian, when large aggregates of people created a highly complex, stratified, sophisticated agricultural world throughout much of the southeast. Maize also grew throughout the entire northeast and surprisingly to some on the plains. Elsewhere in the world, of course, the stories vary to some degree, depending on a host of factors including climate, availability of resources, and need. But wherever agriculture took hold, there were some similar effects. For one thing, agricultural people, by definition, had to settle down, and pastoral herding people, as noted, depended on trade with their sedentary neighbors, thus losing some of the free-ranging mobility of the hunter-gatherer. Mm -hmm. What was in store for people who finally committed themselves to agriculture? For many, civilization and all its wonders and its discontents. But as we noted in the preface to this volume, we are stopping this account on the far side of such phenomena. For with civilization comes writing in the form of cuneiform script or hieroglyphics and then letters as we conceive them. 
meaning that prehistory ends and history begins.